and welcome to Behind All The Stories. I'm your host, Yemi Siadegoke. It's been a minute since the last episode and so much has happened that can't really condense into an intro. But ultimately, I hope everyone listening is doing well and staying safe. To reintroduce the podcast for those who are tuning in for the first time, it's essentially about storytellers, finding out what shaped them and what moves them. And today's guest is a personal favourite of mine, my own personal person, Yomi Adegake, who as well as being a multi-award winning journalist and best-selling author, is my younger sister. Here's our conversation. So yeah, this is something that I'm genuinely curious about. So you are kind of, you you straddle like this really interesting line where like you are a journalist, obviously, not just in terms of like training, but you actually report. But then you're also a writer because I'm not, I'm, I don't think that a writer is necessarily a journalist. Like I do believe there's a line between the two, like, because you can write about things, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily mm. a journalist. I, I think that journalists apply like specific Agree. Like, tools whereas you can so I think you kind of you're mm. both but which do you think best sort of encapsulates who you are like, ah. like if I were to ask you what are you um that's such a good question I might even throw it back at some point because I'm like oh it's a good one yeah like that's that's like hard to say I personally think for a long time I really identified as a writer because I was shook of identifying as a journalist and I think having Mm. a journalist in my house an actual trained journalist that like went to NYU and like reported all this this serious shit like the riots and like you know like um I remember that time where you're like oh yeah like you know as if you, as if mum is the type of person to drop this casually to, but it was like, yeah. So in case you know, like I'm, I don't know, kidnapped by the like, if it wasn't Boko Haram, was it like the the herdsman of like, I don't know, there was some madness. Like, I'm in case I'm kidnapped. Here's the like safety protocol, just so casual. Like, and mum literally nearly died then and there. Like, and I feel like having like somebody <laughs> like that in the house, who was actually who really made me see. Like, I think recently the definition of journalism has well I can barely say it has expanded in a way that like um I think I'm not really sure like I feel like sometimes it kind of it kind of like downplays the actual skill set that a lot of trained journalists have and, and I say that for myself as well because I'm not a trained journalist so like people that write in shorthand and people that are like literally risking their lives to tell stories and like really like you know, having to, like, adhere to, like, Ofcom and all this stuff that's really, like, rigid and you really have to be able to be tell stories, like, movingly without necessarily, with, 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 with more limited resources in a way. Do you get what I mean? Because you're not even, you're not even allowed to sometimes say certain things and you have to stay within all these parameters. And I think, like, yeah, like, having somebody that's actually, like, a trained journalist in the house meant that, like, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know what? I know how hard it is and I don't want to kind of just, shit out of blog and I'm like hey I'm a journalist <laughs> obviously so much respect to my older sis like yeah like I think I was very much like this is hard <laughs> this this is not easy like this is actually hard and like writing's hard too but like there is a certain skill set that I don't think a lot of people realize comes with actually being a journalist like it's part of why like you know Nadine who you interviewed a while back on here absolute biggest shout out to Nadine I like I'm just I rate her so highly, oh right? God, she's so wife. sick. And I feel like yeah. I respect her a lot because like the beat that she's covering, like she covers so much stuff that like the mainstream press, like, and, and I know she is in the mainstream press, but just like the wider press just ignore, but she is covering it, not just from a 
you know, opinion piece space. She's covering it in the way like, you know, in a journalistic kind of like reporting space, which is really important because so often we don't get those stories told. And I, in that way, I feel like, yeah, like with you, like that's what I grew up seeing. And I was like, mate, this is hard. And like, I've always had the utmost respect for it. I don't want this to turn into just a massive loving, but like, yeah, for real, like I've always respected it. So like, I feel like, you know, I was very hesitant to call myself a journalist because I was just like, these aren't skills I have yet. Like, I'm just, I'm just like seeing something and thinking, hmm, I've got opinions and I want people to hear them and, and I'm just putting them out there <laughs> and literally me ranting going so there and then putting that up and, and that was it really you know that's how I started so I was kind of just like you know what like I really want to get those skills before I start saying I'm a journalist and, and that's not imposter syndrome for me often people would be like, oh, it's imposter syndrome sometimes it can be but for me it wasn't if for me it was truly wanting to lean into and perfect a craft like my big sister did so when I got my job at Channel 4 News like um, I think that was probably around the first time I truly felt like, oh my God, I'm actually a journalist because I had to like, you know, I mean, I learned what the hell Ofcom meant. Was it, is it, yeah, wait, wait, is it Ofcom? Wait, no, not Ofcom. Yeah, it's Ofcom. It so I love what the hell it meant, bro, beyond TV complaints. And like, you know, I'd be like starting reports like, yes, obviously she's full of crap. And it's like, well, you can't really say that because you know, it sounds basic, but truly understanding their guidelines and understanding that like, you know, yeah. even even like, in, you know, especially Channel 4, like, which is held to a very, you know, rigorous standard, like, and just really starting to understand, like, okay, I still can't do shorthand. And I've always weirdly still wanted to do an NTCJ because I really feel like um, just to perfect things. But yeah, I do report and it's something I've really learned. And it's something that um, I, I feel more like now I used to identify as a writer because I really feel that's what I was doing primarily. Now I feel like I am a journalist mm. and I quite a lot but I do I do feel that like yes yeah, sometimes not calling yourself a journalist can come out of imposter syndrome but also a lot of the time it is like for me anyway it was genuinely that like I'd seen firsthand like there are various strains of journalism and obviously a lot of the journalism I do is opinion journalism but there were a lot of parameters and rules and things that I wasn't aware of and I think I probably identify more as a journalist now because for me um those things that I picked up at like Channel 4 News and like in like journalistic outlets mm. really shape how I tell stories now. Um, yeah. Okay. But I want to pick up on what you said before um, about how you kind of got into journalism. Again, yeah. I obviously know this, but for people that don't, and I remember your Ooh. blog, I won't say the name, SW, shout out to the blog, RIP the blog. But um, yeah, how did you get into it? Well, um, so I was at, in my final or second, wait, I think I was in my final year of university, suffering yeah, from, yeah, final, final year, year suffering final from year. depression, much to my flipping surprise, because I was just like, I was so shocked. I was like, oh my God, why am I depressed? Because I was just like, first of all, I genuinely never, like, I never even thought it would be possible. I mean, you know me, I'm like such a... I, I usually I'm such a happy-go-lucky person. So I was just like, what the hell is happening here? And also I couldn't like find anything that it made sense for me to be depressed about. So I was just so confused. Um, and obviously spent a lot of time like talking to you and our other sister and just like being like weirdly like suspended in this weird state of just depression and sadness and not really knowing why. And, and I think now looking back, it's like university was really hard. As, as we've you know made clear very close to my family I really missed everybody and it was just a really hard period and like I didn't really get on with everybody at uni like you know I call myself an ACS survivor like it was just a it was just a time like 
Oh, mate, it was not easy. So, you know, I decided to, you know, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell the story because it's long, but I think you remember the, the, the talking capture when, like, <laughs> my, the, the capture, the capture mm-hmm. said this, you know, I can't bother to go into it, but, like, there was a whole thing where I was trying to watch Shutter Island and, like, um, a, um, my our dad used to tell us this story about um, this prince who'd asked for, like, a ring that would make him sad and a ring that would make him happy. It said it had this two shot pass engraved on it. And when I was going through like one of my depressive episodes, trying to watch like Shutter Island, um, you know, it kept making me retype in the capture. I said, I wasn't bothered to tell this story and here I am. And then I typed, I was like the next time I had to type in the capture, it said, um, it came up with, um, this too shall pass and obviously normally captures just like bacon tree and like fog horn hands and I was just like this is a bit prescient and a bit too like on the nose so I literally burst into tears and was like I'm I'm gonna come back home now so I went home and was just like I don't really know what to do with my life like I'd started blogging just before this because like honestly for no other reason really honestly than I you know I'm just I have opinions and I was just like, I want people to know them. So I was just like writing on a blog about like random stuff. Like the first ever post I did was called Ho Stay Winning <laughs> about, about like how I was like, oh, leave like Amber Rose alone. And like, I can't remember who else I was defending, but I was like, you're just hating because they're like, you know, they're living their life. <laughs> yeah. Like I was blogging and like, you know, again, no real journalistic ambitions, but, um, there were two things. Firstly, I had a friend called Tanika who was like, um, you know, I remember she was kind of saying that maybe, um, like I was saying, I didn't really know what to do with my life. And, you know, everyone was doing work experience and I wasn't able to get any. And um, she was kind of like, basically saying if I couldn't find work secure work experience, why don't I make my own work experience and like create a magazine? Like it was just such an off comment, but I don't even know if she knows how much it affected me, but it was just such a throwaway. Like, oh, well, you know, why don't you just create a magazine or something? And I was like, hey. And then also there was this like random white boy that like, I don't even know what our relationship was. Like we just used to, he was almost like a pen pal, this random boy called Tom that like used to, we used to just write to each other randomly on Facebook and like, just really long, interesting, like, what sort of diatribes about nothing. And he used to read my blog, again, which I just started as an outlet. And he was just like, oh, you know that you could, like, get paid to do stuff like this? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously, it's journalism. And I was like, what? What Yem does? And I was like, isn't, isn't she going to, like, I was like, isn't she, like, going to, like, you know, prisons to, like, <laughs> I was like, great. And none of that. Like, he was, he was like, yeah, like, isn't it? You, it's journalism. You could literally be paid to write about stuff like this. And I remember thinking, like, but isn't Yem like literally like avoiding shrapnel? I know I'm exaggerating, but do you know what I mean? I was like, ain't Yem like, oh, I, was like God, I was like, I'm not about that. I was like, that sounds like, that just sounds mad, bro. I was like, I respect it, but boy, I can't be doing that. And then he was just like, yeah, but you know, like opinion journalism, you could just be writing. And I was like, do you think? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'd never, it sounds so dumb, but I was writing bare and I'd never even thought about it really as a career. So like, yeah, like yeah. it was those two things yeah. that kind of really made me like, okay, fine. And um, as I as I said, like the blog literally just came as an outlet because I was depressed and just wanted to run. And then, yeah, it was literally just, they just kind of said like, what about trying to get paid to do the writing? And what about trying to um, make the magazine a magazine? And I mean, I reached out to two charities o2 think big and been inspired they gave me 500 i think and 300 pounds respectively or like the other way around i can't remember and um 
yeah like they gave me money and i then created this thing called birthday magazine which was me like it was literally like i don't know like a magazine aimed at young black teenage girls and i used to like put it in hair shops in um south london like in croydon and like around the area it's a bit like it's like a fever dream now i'm like what the hell was i doing <laughs> we need our oh, birthday oh. magazine you want me if there was ever no if there was ever a time to bring birthday back because one of the things that i remember when you did that and i remember i still remember oh the editorial God. that bald black dark girl with like big I sunglasses i remember that, and i remember seeing it and being like Oh, she's not bald. Her hair was like slicked so... back. Yeah, she looked, she looked just stunning. Oh, yeah, looked, she's bald. But I was like, this is so. And even like, I remember the um the font. It looked like yeah, sort of like bubble gum, oh, like blown wow, up. Piece. I tried. Yeah. And I remember looking at it and was like, this is amazing. And honestly, I think now with this whole renaissance, mm. not even renaissance, because we've yeah, been about black women absolutely. from day one, because obviously we have no choice, but we've also always been about that life. Um, but I think like now everybody else is sort of catching on mm. to this whole thing. Even like slaying your lane, mm. and obviously we're gonna get there. It's kind of like mm-hmm. it's all linked in a way, like birthday, because there was nothing mm. like birthday. There was nothing. It, it was it was ahead of its time, bro. Yeah, it was. It was definitely it was definitely ahead of its time. There was mm. nothing like that for young girls, and I and I still think that there's a massive gap in the market for that. Like. I know that you guys are doing this with like your future projects and stuff like that, but something consistent that's targeted at young black girls. Think about it, girl. But it was a fantastic idea. Very, very ahead of its time. Um, and yeah. Thank you so much, Kim. But I wanted to say as well, even the visuals, right? Like it's so interesting because again, it's, I was saying this to Yink like the other day, like how everything was linked because I was like talking about, you know, colorism and why it mattered to me like, to have a really dark skin girl on the front cover. And I'm like, these things, these throwaway things that we don't understand how much they affect us. Like, I was like, I obviously, we've grown up with a very fair skinned mom and a dark skinned dad, and we've all just kind of come out like middle. I don't know. Do- I identify I identify as dark skinned. I believe I'm a dark skinned woman, but I've been told repeatedly that I don't, that I don't count. So I'm just like, I'm not trying to be, do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be that. I'm not trying to be that light that's coming to you know the ones that are like oh and reverse colorism I I know in my I know I'm dark skin basically but I also know that standing next to like a darker skin person I don't look dark, right but we've yeah. obviously like sure. grown up as dark skin girls and like I will never forget and I was saying this as well like you know I was saying this to our little sister like you know that I was really trying to understand why obviously colorism existed and I was aware of it um, but I was just trying to understand, like, you know, obviously we had a light-skinned mum that, that, you know, she's never really ever, ever, like, done the whole, I'm a light-skinned woman and you guys are dark-skinned and that's an issue. She's never done the whole, oh, you know what I mean? Never been about bleach. She's never also been about, like, hide from the, you know, you're going to get too tired. We're just running through them, running through them streets of Lagos, trying to get as dark (laughs) as ever, and nobody cared. But then also, I was thinking, like, in terms of the magazine, it's so crazy when you just get these flashbacks. Because I was saying to Inks, like, I remember when you brought home that like Italian Vogue with like your dad's dad. Oh my god, being you must have been college. I can't. I can't find out. Don't remember when that came out. You know, but I tell you. But I actually tell you what, it's still in fucking perfect condition. That magazine is the one magazine that I'm like, I'm never getting rid of, and it's it's in perfect perfect condition. condition. Oh my god, 2008. Yeah, so you bought that I think when you were at uni, right? And like, um, 
and just in uni. And like, I must have been 2008, I was still at flipping secondary school. And I actually remember so distinctly you buying that and being like, ah, look at this. Like, I didn't know a single one of the people in there. <laughs> I know Jordan was in there though. Jordan Dunn was in there and like, and I remember like yeah. you like being like oh my god like this is just everything and I was saying things like don't you remember that Yem has always like preferred dark skin women like she's always been about dark skin she's been always right. about darkies like I right. was like you've always really like pushed that <laughs> agenda in a way that's meant that I've grown up and I really even with birthday I don't think I was even really trying to make that much of a statement it was just like that is like my type like you know what i mean like you've always been like dark-skinned women in a way that's made me really think oh all black women are beautiful of course but like that dark-skinned women are like you know like i've always just really been like oh dark-skinned women are so beautiful and like and obviously yeah like i feel like with birthday i definitely was trying to make a point of like you know mate i was so on i want dark-skinned models because we never ever like saw them this was 20 like but i just yeah. remember that like i was saying to god i keep saying i was saying teams but it's okay, i really was i kept saying it to her like you know i remember so distinctly um yeah not only buying that issue but also just really pushing that narrative of like not black is beautiful despite of it was just black like black women are genuinely buff that was the conversation didn't really go beyond that it wasn't like because everyone says we're not it was just look at this magazine look at these uh, dark women you were like obsessed yeah. with alex Weck. you were obsessed with like all these dark skin models and and yeah i think it just really rubbed off on me like me when i say minion i've been really reminiscing just on how much like yeah i guess having like an older sister where there's like an actual gap how much it like can affect how you how, how, just shape your world view like obviously to me i was like oh i just woke up a journalist i don't know <laughs> but then you, you really deepen it's like oh my god like yeah there's just so much there's so much from like your career and like from your i mean you can always say the reason that we can't watch things is so, this is a bad thing that we can't watch things without some sort of wry sarcastic commentary we can't do anything it's my fault we could not enjoy it God. you have a bragging everything <laughs> from the age of like four so yeah but you know what's so funny as well like i was thinking about this because it was really weird and i still need to look into this but you know like in yoruba culture there's like yeah. this real thing about like death like having a destiny mm -hmm. like it's like a real thing within our culture and like randomly mm -hmm. the other day i still have to ask him about this when i have time but dad was just like oh you know i think it was your destiny to become a journalist and I was like, really? That's mm. interesting. I'm so like, I don't know why I didn't ask why. I just couldn't be bothered. But then I even, but then I was even thinking about it. Like, even though you're saying like, oh, you know, I influence you or whatever. But I, I think like, if you, even if you just look at our sort of upbringing, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, reading was something that was always encouraged in our household. Absolutely. But also They're storytelling was always something that was encouraged in our household. <laughs> like, storybook we were <laughs> exactly like telling each other yeah. weaver, the, the best thing ever like so like there was story with weaver there was telling each mm -hmm. other stories on the way to school or like when we went out but then there was also just the stuff of like you, you know when i was in school and i'd come home and tell you everything redacted. all the things that happened but with so but you mean redacted. Redacted. <laughs> i think some of them are still redacted, redacted today and i'm like oh my god yeah i'm nearly done <laughs>
I know then after you did birthday, you got like loads mm-hmm. of internships. Um, I, rem- I remember there was a point where you were like trying to find a full-time mm-hmm. job and then you were like, you're a very pragmatic person. Like I know that you're like super passionate about like writing and I know that when you were like, especially when you were starting out, you were mm-hmm. quite prolific. Mm-hmm. You still are to be honest, but in the beginning you write a lot like you wrote for different places you wrote for blogs you mm-hmm. wrote for different outlets but was there ever a point where you were like not mm. sure about this uh as much as I like it I'm not like I don't know if I'm actually gonna be able to make a career girl like honestly you know boy like I'm really somebody that believes that like you know yeah so I really feel like you know the way that side hustles have replaced um hobbies it's quite sad because i feel like people just don't like to do things for the sake of it anymore and we always feel like we have to be monetizing everything Mm. um and that's something i've thought about for a while because like personally like i really really wanted to get into writing professionally i wanted to do it as a job but it was getting to a point where like it just it just wasn't happening like in order to like sustain a living but not even that because i was living at home at the time anyway it was just more like even in terms of like you know I just felt like I was, especially because everybody that I knew at like Warwick was, you know, they went to work at PwC, Deloitte, they went to be lawyers, whatever. And I was just sat there like struggling to even get like a paid internship. So it just got to a point where I was just like, you know what, like I can actually just write for, for enjoyment. And you know what, like, honestly, as much as I'm so happy with how it worked out and I've been able to like make it a career, like I, I honestly was really seriously considering just doing something else and writing for like um fun because it was really hard like it was really really hard and i think because i'm somebody that like you know i'm very practical i'm very pragmatic and i really wanted like to start my life i wanted to buy a house i wanted to like just have a life and just like you know what i mean like mate having a house <laughs> is certainly not like you know um it's so crazy how like the way life is like having a having a house isn't even like um really feasible to, regardless of what you do like in this kind of economy like it's for most of us it's like a real pipe dream but it's something that I really really wanted and I really wanted to be able to kind of like um just start my life and I think I just it was just really hard and it was just like honestly I mean the level of rejection you have to have such thick skin and like I think I do have quite thick skin but it was just relentless and I think what was worse was just knowing in my gut and in my spirit that like I was good but it almost didn't matter because I was I didn't have the connections and like I'd read stuff just on websites that was just absolute fucking faff and rubbish and just nonsense and I was just like how is this on here um and it was just really frustrating as well because like obviously I really try not to compare myself to people and I really try to just feel like this is my lane let me like do my own thing in it but it was hard because I would read stuff you know sometimes you read things you're like how did this get published like <laughs> that obviously you're looking at it and you're thinking what the hell like and that was just like an ongoing sensation and I think as well again um again having like obviously you graduated like doing a really difficult like period in terms of the, the recession and stuff and I know that you were like I remember very distinctly like how difficult it was to like navigate journalism and like get like I feel like I think we spoke about this recently and you were saying that like out of your graduating class of like a master's at NYU it was it's literally you and like maybe one other person that I actually still in journalism yeah in my in my class there are like that I know of my actual class as in of course, yeah. so there was the class of journalism and then we had all the different concentrations but in my news and documentary class there were like three people like I think there were mm. like 10 of us or so 
And there were like three active people that I know that are working in journalism. And the crazy thing is, though, like, I will never forget that my one of my teachers actually said this to us. He was like, more than half of you will no. not be journalists. No. Like, he said that to us the first day of the That's class. Like, I know that you guys think that this is like a sort of do or die, mm-hmm. that you love it, this, that, I and the other. You, you'd like, like, the reality me. is. Like, <laughs> I do you know what? I was just... Do you know what's so funny? I was just like, oh, like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. But I'm going to do oh, it. Like, okay. you know what I mean? Like, I'm actually, I just, so like, I thought you'd have been like, huh, well, that's me. I, that's why I was like, I know you love to do self-deprecation. No, so I'm so glad no, you actually knew. You know what? You know that I do yeah. self-deprecation, but one thing that I tell you, you know that what, what honestly, what motivates me is yeah, doubt. So like, I can doubt myself, but so you true. can't doubt me. Like, I can doubt myself. Can be like I can't do this, oh, but the minute you say, say that true, you can't do you're this, like, well, oh, is it? <laughs> I'll be like, excuse, I'll just do it. The thing is, I'll Absolutely. just do it to prove a point. It might not even be that like, I want to do it anymore, but because you so say that I can't do that's you know, yummy. That's I'm not gonna lie, that's that's, that's dad, such that's a dad, dad trait. Oh like, oh, so you yeah, think yeah. you think so that you are. can have like say in my own life, but yeah, like. I remember that and I remember it was really hard and like honestly when I'm always like I'm so proud of you it's because it's just like yeah I know it was a serious journey and it's why like you know like I remember seeing that and thinking uh I don't know if I have the if I have the like the grit if I have the like patience like and I really did try to make like you know to make sure that I had a backup plan and and I honestly think for anybody, you know what I'm like. Like, I'm not a dreamer at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I weirdly am. Like, you know, I'm like <laughs> so about. I'm so proud of I was so ready to be a teacher. Yeah. Honorable profession. I bloody love kids. I was fully just so ready to be like, yep, I'm here to shape the minds of tomorrow. And you know what? Like, there is definitely a alternate universe where I'm doing that. And I'm probably as happy. Like, because at the end of the day, like, I mean, you know this. What's my, what's my real first love? Art. Oh, you know that before anything, you'll probably identify me as an artist because I love to paint. And like, I'm, I don't paint professionally and I feel like painting professionally would actually take all the enjoyment out of it. Thankfully, I'm very lucky that yeah. I'm like, writing for me and it being my job, I fucking love it. Honestly, couldn't imagine doing anything else. I'm so grateful. But like, I truly have never been of the idea that like, I have to do something that I love. Like, I've always just been like, a job is a job. Like, I want to, be employed and if it doesn't work out i'm i'm not above doing something else so you know i'm i'm i was you know i was very ready to drop out um and i'm just very thankful that things happened now they did because it's not like there weren't loads of rejections there were absolutely endless and countless rejections i just think they happened in quite a short burst it's not like i was out of it for like years it was literally just like several intense months of like rejection but then i but then i got on um so yeah but you have to tap out so then so then when would you say that you felt like, like you said there was a period where you felt like, oh, you could call yourself a journalist. Was that Channel 4? Really? Was that when you feel like you, like, now I, now I can mm. say that I'm a journalist and now this is a career that mm. I want and I'm going to push to, like, there's kind of no so turning back now. I don't know, like, you I'm know, here. because honestly, there's so many platforms. Like, now this has really made me think there's so many platforms that, like, gave took a chance on me before anything like i remember there was this clothes blog called like educate and elevate and i remember like the girl um 
um susan i think her name was like who was working there like she used to pay me in like garms like she literally used to give me like a sweater per piece or whatever and she was like lovely and i remember feeling like i'm a writer now because i was actually like there was an exchange i was like not writing for free i was writing for something and i remember there was a platform called student beans mm. And funny, there was a funny enough. There was a journalist called Maggie who used to work there that then moved on to Buzzfeed, and like she again was someone else who took a chance on me in student beans for like a real legitimate website. So I remember, I don't even remember if I was paid or not, um, and I just felt like this is it. And then like there were just loads of little things like that. I interned at like Paul's Magazine for a bit. I interned at like um, the Guardian for a week. That was like my first real internship. But then I also interned at the Croydon Guardian, and that felt really big. And I was like, oh my god. Um, so all those times I remember it just felt like I was climbing this really, really like this ladder with shitloads of rungs, but like, or like steps, maybe whatever. But yeah. I was like, really, like, they were really incremental. And I feel like maybe it was like, maybe it was when I first got commissioned by like an actual like paper. Like, I got commissioned by The Guardian and like The Independent, and I, I had like a Huffington Post blog. I remember that was all very early in my career, and I remember like, I mean, you remember Yem when I wrote that piece about um the no makeup selfie. Oh, no makeup selfie. My first taste of morality, girl. I was not ready. I was what twenty one, and I was literally not ready. Remember, and I was crying because the Daily Mail. I was scared they were because the Daily Mail contacted me saying they wanted my picture for something, and I remember literally being in tears. I don't know if it was to you or Yinka on the phone, and I was like, they're gonna literally say. Because it was about, I was saying that the daily, that um, the no makeup selfie, I felt like the trend, like, because at this point when I was criticizing it, which was the first iteration, it was just people taking pictures and saying, this is an awareness of cancer, but not breast cancer, but not donating. So I remember, I mean, this is a, co a constant theme in my life. I'm always trying to I swear to God, every time these trends happen, you I'm know like, I this is the man. same I'm just thing. not about like, it. And I just feel like, what, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, as somebody who tries to do their, their bit, I have never felt any urge to like publicize it and even the kind of idea of oh we help other people do so I just don't buy it but anyway that's a conversation for another podcast but I remember like saying like you know people weren't donating at this point so I was like what's the point of this and I was just dragging and um you know it went viral and the Daily Mail got in touch and were like hey we need your picture for something we're doing an article and I remember literally being in tears because I thought the headline because it's Daily Mail was going to be immigrant student Love Santa, hate selfies, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I actually was crying because I was like, "No, I'm gonna." Because obviously, mate, that it split people. It went very viral because obviously a lot of people knew what I was saying, but other people like, "Oh, see, so you're judging people that wear makeup, are ya?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. Project, <laughs> project all you want, fucking Sally. It's not gonna actually make this trend mean anything." And if it hadn't been for journalists like me, and I think it was Sally Hughes at the time that were actually criticizing it, I don't think it would turn. I'm not trying to like <laughs> single-handedly say that we raised millions of pounds, but honestly, I don't think people <laughs> started donating because that's not what it was about initially. It was just about pictures. But yeah, like I remember that mate, that was huge. I did BBC Breakfast. I was like 21. I was rattled, or maybe even 20. I was rattled, bruv. And like it really felt these really felt like milestones. But I feel like maybe the first time I truly like I truly felt like a journalist might have been when I got my job at Viewpoint News, which was like, is this now defunct like random website no one knows about that was like by ITN and um, you know, it was kind of like meant to be like arrival to buzzfeed but like no one knows what it was and it was my first journalism job and i was so aghast and like you know when i got it like 
you, you know, obviously, like I was, you know, there was a real, it was a really difficult time for the family. And it was really, really hard because I remember I was saying I wasn't going to take the job because like we were just going through so much. And I remember like everyone was like, Yomi, you have to take it. Like you can't not, like you can take, you can take your time to go and whatever, but you have to take the job because obviously everyone had watched how hard it had been for me to like get into journalism. But I think that was probably the first time I felt like I'm a writer and then like a real writer. And then I probably, and I, I still, I think I started saying I'm a journalist now. But the first time I really felt like a journalist was probably um, Channel Four because I just felt like, oh, so this is this is when you really have rules. Like, do you know what I mean? I was really like, it was amazing because it made it really like. What I love is like being challenged, like because obviously on my blog I was writing like 800, no, even that's kind of two thousand sometimes word diatribes about Harry Styles's hair and about like literally like. Beyonce like and just chatting absolute rubbish and I was my own editor whereas you know at v-point yeah. we still had word limits we still had to have like a certain amount of articles produced a day which again helped me fall into line but then channel four was like you have to like make people feel something without even without even being able to express an opinion like because I was doing digital in it and I was yeah. doing the video I couldn't cut video for shit I still can't but yeah, I was like, this is a skill because like, you know, like the work you do, it's like, you're not allowed to say, these people are evil and what they're doing is wrong. You have to really infer <laughs> and really tell that story using other people's voices. So yeah, I think that was, that was the, yeah, that was the time. So I have to ask you this as well, because we're going to get to slay in your lane. Um, but before that... But before that, um, you worked at Channel 4, you freelanced mm -hmm. from a lot of different places, mm. you still do. Um, and I know that we spoke about this, like, there was a period a couple of weeks ago where a lot of black female journalists were coming online and talking about a lot of their sort of awful experiences in different newsrooms and stuff like that. And obviously, you know that that was very triggering for me, uh, even though I haven't worked in the UK for a really long time. But I mean, how did you feel seeing that? I know that you freelance mostly now, but the things that were sort of going on, could you relate to any of it? Oh, did you, like, at stages within your career, obviously, don't know, <laughs> but like, just what was your, what was your sort of take on that whole, like, child when i say yeah when i saw that whole thing going on the first person i thought of was you like that's the crazy thing the first person i thought of was you because obviously i know you've had your experiences and i felt like i almost felt those experiences more keenly than i felt my own because like that was that was a part of why i guess i'd never even considered journalism as a choice because i know how hard you worked to get into particular spaces and then to be completely undermined when you got into them. So I was just like, this, like, that I made, I remember you tweeted about it, and I, that was my kind of, like, entry point to that discussion, because I felt like, yeah, like, I've actually seen this firsthand. And, like, you know what, it's so mad, because, like, of course stuff happened, Like I'll never forget in one newsroom in particular, I had to send an email around with the subject line N-word, because I was having to send, I sent an email, hello, everybody, you're me here, hope you're all well noticed some of you guys um use the m word <laughs> and i know that yeah, and i was like i know you're not what? i know that you're um not necessarily saying it in reference to me but you know i put in the examples to hot them up like oh you know i've heard some of you guys say that your grandmothers refer to trousers as n word brown and sometimes when you're singing lyrics you won't you won't add to it and yet my wow. black ass is, 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 is calling it n word and you're saying 
the real thing. And I literally wrote it in the tone and she would any other email and literally sent it round. And it was so awkward. Like I remember like, I'd say maybe half of the people that I sent it to came up to me in like a flurry. The ones who hadn't even been using it and like came to apologize. Others just acted like it was never sent. It was mad. But I just look back, I'm like, wow, I can't <laughs> believe I sent that. Like, you know, when you said, yeah, yeah that's so oh, cool. This was, so this was like, actually, I can't say the timeline. I thought it was a bit too late. But yeah, this was early child. And I'll never yeah. forget, like, it was because you know, you've always said I have that thing, I can't unlook in it. So it was one of those things where I saw the issue and yeah. I tried so hard not to say anything, but it's like I actually couldn't stop myself. Like, it was yeah, so, like, I just couldn't. Too. So I've obviously had experiences, but, like, nothing is, like, harrowing as, like, what you'd you'd gone through in certain, like, spaces. And, like, um, but I definitely had, like, lots of one-off incidences. But I think one of the things that I had experienced was actually more in freelancing where, like, you know, people wouldn't, like, run headlines by me or, like, run certain, like, changes by me. And you just know how people online are. Like, let me be honest with you, especially when you know what you're doing. And I hate to say it, but when you're when you're when your kind of like track record is good, they're waiting. They're just gagging to catch you out. And I feel like, listen, let's be real. Like, I have a lot of flaws, but like my work isn't one of them at all. Like, I know what I'm doing. And I felt like there were certain situations where you know, I'd been let down by newsrooms who hadn't necessarily run certain things by me and I'd end up with headlines that were reckless and mad. And rather than people putting two together, like, hmm, this obviously isn't a headline she's seen. It's like, they were like, yeah, got him. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Like, they were, they were ready for it to be like, oh my God, finally we can say she doesn't know what she's doing. And, and like, I'll never forget, like, yeah, there was one particular headline. And like, you know, so many people, I think what really made me happy was just so many people like, unprovoked came to my defense and were like well obviously this she doesn't she hasn't seen this headline because she knows what she's doing and that made me actually feel very kind of like um confident in my work to be like yeah i do know what i'm doing because all these people even the even the editor like issued an apology because at the end of the day i'm not i know what i'm talking about and if you want to drag cancel or drag me it has to be for my own mistakes not 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 because you're trying to get one off because of like some some editor um or editor's mistake but um, yeah, what, what's been interesting, yeah, is that whilst I couldn't relate before, I can honestly say that, like, some experiences that you obviously know the, the tea on, and I can't really, I'm not really at liberty to speak on yet, <laughs> but there have been experiences now where I'm actually probably at the, you know, highest level I've been in my career where I've experienced, like, a level of disempowerment that has been very new to me and really quite painful because you know, you kind of, journalism's an industry where you're kind of taught that you have to eat a particular amount of shit till you get to a particular point. And like, I hadn't, re- I've gone through some stuff, but I hadn't really gone through like a madness. Um, I remember partic- in particular doing like this internship, I think I told you, and where two different internships, two different male editors, one had wanted me to change, kept crossing out when I'd write women and changing it, changing it to females because he wanted it to be that kind of pejorative yeah. And then the other one yeah. who, on my first ever print column changed what I like, wrote in jokes about bulimia. And I literally started crying because I didn't know how else to handle it. And then the white woman, the white woman that, yeah. dragged oh. me by my hand and marched up to him to shout at him. I was like, don't you ever. Like, that was fucking hilarious. But anyway, um, yeah, like, I, I'd experienced one-off incidents, but I couldn't say they were, like, my the totality of my experience in these places, which is why most places I don't really have really bad things to say about anywhere I've worked. But, whoo, this freelance life, child let's just say there are like it's not even right it's a different experience and i wouldn't even necessarily say journalism i think it's as i move into different spaces 
you know, I mean, I've been really coddled by publishing and probably journalism to a degree and moving into different spaces means that, oh, girl, I've really, I've really experienced that thread starting to make a lot, it's starting to, I mean, it touched me before, but now it's like next level. Right. And then obviously came yes, Slaying yeah. Elaine, best-selling, oh, multi-award winning, etc., etc. All the all the accolades, all the praise, life-changing, shook the table. Um, was that something? Because I obviously it's weird for me because like I remember when this like I still have the email when you guys sent sent the original like mm-hmm. this is what we're thinking of doing. But like I know that you guys. Obviously, when I say you guys, mm-hmm. I'm talking about Elizabeth. What's Shout good? out to Elizabeth. Um, did you guys, or did you ever think that it would go the way it has? Like, it's become, like, obviously not just the book. It's, it's more than a book at this point. Like, it's spawned so many different things. It's sparked so many conversations. There are so many other books and projects that you can see have mm-hmm. been directly influenced uh, by this, whether they credit it or not. Um, you can you can see, but like, did you ever think that it would it would get to like it would it was going to be like this when Polly approached you and was like, mm, "You're my think," and I know when you guys were putting together all your like boards and your proposals and when these because I know that some people they'll be like, "Well, they must have known someone." They didn't know anyone. Like I saw this from beginning to end. So when I say that these people did not know anybody within this industry, didn't know anything about publishing. When they say, and I know, it's, I know it's a nice headline and it's a nice sort of soundbite. Oh, we googled how to. They literally googled how to do this. Like I literally witnessed it. I always yeah. think about that. I'm like, wow. Like it never even crossed my mind to be like, because obviously you flared, understandably, and did. Huh, but get this Babylon, like this Babylon, flipping uh, British, flipping um, journalism industry, and you ducked out. So it's so interesting because I always sit there and think, oh my god, it never even occurred to me to be like oh my gosh, like, bring in DM, like, that's why I think nepotism bothers me so much, because I'm just like, mate, I, I couldn't even, you know, be like, oh yeah, bring in, because, like, phys- you physically were in a different country, and we're just like, bye, like, whatever, but, and you gave me a lot of advice, but, like, literally, like, we were working in completely different industries, and that was exactly, like, not industries, sorry, but in completely different countries, so it was very much like, oh, what do you think of this, can you help me literally read this, would you help me, like, with what you think I should like, you know, say in this thing and read my cover letter and help me. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. But it's just so mad, like, because I look at these people and I, I always say like to Elizabeth that these days when I'm looking at somebody and I'm like, I don't recognize them, but they've got like, you know, a book deal or they've like kind of just sprouted out of the ground, fully formed like Venus, like with a with like some like top pod, not even podcast, but like, you know what I mean? Like just some, some like bait, like media position or something. My first question was, who is your dad? Who is your dad? Who is your mom? Because like, it's so interesting that so many people that we're kind of, we're not given any context on that are really like prevalent and present in the media. Of course, their parents are why or someone they know where it's interesting. Like I feel like we really just forged these two separate career paths where like, yeah, like you definitely helped me shitloads, but in terms of contacts, but you were doing. I'm I'm in Nigeria, <laughs> like, and, and, and vice versa. And that's the same thing with um, Selenia Lane. We didn't know anybody except, of course, shout out to Clarissa Pabby, who again gave us shitloads of advice. But in terms of contacts, we came to to find our own and really just you know um, start from that. But so your question is, you know, did I think it was going to be what it was? Yes, <laughs> like absolutely. I you know this. I was fully like. 
when Elizabeth told me, I was like, this is mad. This is amazing. I was literally Googling, like, does this already exist? I was like, there's no way it doesn't. It's too sick an idea. And, like, lo and behold, like, it didn't. Not even in an American context, really. And I was just gobsmacked. It's just hiding in plain sight. And, like, I truly could see the headlines. Like, I'd always tell her, like, I could see the headlines. I could see how it would be sold. And I think as well that's part of the journalistic angle. Like, I could really see, like, okay... I'm a journalist. How would I report on them? How would I report on the movement? Um, and that's how, like, even with stuff you do and stuff, and when I'm very sure, like, okay, this could work, it's because I can see how we'd sell it in. And, like, if I can't imagine why I'd write about something, it's really sick. And I feel like, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that, like, you could report on in this way because this is the story. And the story was just so... You know what I, mean? I feel like I can always see the story. So, like, um, with saying that, I could see the story. I was like, this is just such a great idea. And not only is it a great idea, but also I can see the how 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 people report on it and what how we'd get the press. Um, so, yeah, I really I really thought... I'm not going to lie. I thought it'd be big, bruv. I, I don't know if I thought it'd be, like, as life-changing as it has been, but I definitely okay. thought it was going to be big for sure. And, like, obviously that has, like, spawned so many different things now. Like, I can't even list. But, like, obviously now, I mean, now you've got, like, your podcast. And I know that you guys are doing this mini-series where you sort of Mm -hmm. think about the process of getting the book published and, like, conceptualising the idea and all this kind of stuff. What was the most difficult part of the process for you? Oh, what was the most difficult part, would you say? What was the most the most challenging, challenging part like I'd say one of the it. most challenging parts was honestly the fact that I was still working at Channel 4 and I was balancing yeah, I, see, I was a ghost I'm gonna lie. I remember watching you and just being I like is this girl and your mum would be like I, I was just walking like, it was just horrible <laughs> and you know what shout out to my ex-boss man John Lawrence he was so supportive and bear in mind like you, you, you made big up John, man. Like, you know, anyway, like that whole period was really hard for like a myriad of reasons. And like, it was just really hard. And we yeah, all were going yeah, through it. And it was just like, you know, I was really like tired. And it's like, you're working with your best friend. And it's like, you know, me and Elizabeth lived together. So, and she was staying in your room at the time. So, literally, like, we, you know, how the house is like, I'm opening my door to shout across to the room that I used to shout across to you in. Like, she's opening the door. And we're like, yeah, so did I. Like, there was no time off because obviously we would like finish work and then it would be like, oh, okay. Like, now we're finishing work to like interview Vanessa Kingori, publishing like director at Vogue. I mean, she was GQ then, but like, yeah, literally, like, we've got to quickly get a call in with her at lunchtime and who and Amara Sante, the director at like this next lunchtime. And it was crazy. Like, there was just no off button. And I feel like it was really difficult and really tiring. And I really appreciated um It's so crazy because um, I was about to call her Polly again. That's obviously anyone who listens to our podcast will know that's her nickname. But like, I used to literally like um, call, and I used to talk to Polly about like, you know, her um, boss, and her boss was like a white gay man, and so was mine. And like, it's so crazy. Like, we'd always be like, I guess them obviously still being privileged in many ways, but having that kind of like that that intersection, which meant that you know they kind of I guess had experienced like othering and like whatever, like you know they'd experienced like a difference meant that both of our kind of like allies and advocates in the workplace were both like white gay men that like really like protected us during that period. Yeah. And like really like stood up for us. And, you know, when I needed time off and stuff, like John was really understanding. Yeah. I remember your boss was amazing during that period. He was cool, man. He was really cool. 
can I just say though, and I've always thought this about the two of you, that it has got to be the most Nigerian <laughs> thing to have a book deal <laughs> and to still be like, let me see, and then to squeeze numerous books. I must keep, and then even, do you know the thing that made me laugh so much was like, okay, when you guys did the book and you were literally like killing yourselves, like working, even though you both had like advances, whatever, and you were still mm-hmm. like, no, we must keep. The fact that even you mean it took you ages to leave your job. Like it actually took you ages. Even when it was like, I swear that like, did you like just did were you still working I when it was like, published? Oh yeah, because yeah, see, I left from I feel like either you worked until it was published or it had just come out yeah, and then you were I like, remember, oh, I, I left channel four. I left channel four after we got the book deal. Pretty much because like I was fucking up at work because because I was literally like balancing so much and I literally got to the point where I was fucking up. And John was literally just like, "Look, I love you, girl, but you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna attack you. But ciao, you should really think about your future." I was just like, "You know what? I've been long due to jump." And literally, I was so shook because you know, financial. Mate, I was like, "I mean, let's see what happens, yeah." Because like, financial security is a big thing for me. I constantly live in fear of like, um, what I mean, of like financial ruin and debt. It's like a real consistent fear <laughs> in my life so I was so scared and then I left and then I was like freelance for a couple of months and then I just got another job I started working at the port <laughs> yeah, that was it. Like, like, I know that you because I was like I know you were yeah. definitely working when like because I was like this bitch is oh, like I remember just looking at him being like you mean and then this is the thing as well you know being the oldest Never mum has like issues, she'll talk to you. When you don't listen, she'll come to me and do the circumventing thing. Can Which you talk does to me about you? And then I'm like, how can I tell you anything? <laughs> but see the hierarchy thing, it comes in again. We're so young. I can't even deal. Um, so uh, this is one question that I've actually been meaning to ask you for ages since oh, wow. you actually sent me this because you always send me like really interesting articles that I absolutely love. And I know that we've had this conversation before, but I really wanted to hear your thoughts on it. So I don't, I don't know if you remember, but ages ago, you sent me an article about like how journalism is shifting yes. into like this sort of yes, influence yes. space. I was like, remember this article? I sent you articles sometimes I haven't even read. <laughs> I'm like, lol. But I remember like. I remember this specific one because I know that you've had like obviously with the success of the book and your career, people have tried. I remember there was a point where you told me like it's really annoying because these people are trying to like push me into mm-hmm. like an influencer space and I'm not an influencer. And and nothing against influencers, get that coin. There's no yeah, there's no no shade or anything towards influencing. Um but I definitely I, I do find it interesting, like this new sort of space that we're entering in terms of journalism where you are seeing more journalists slash influencers and this is like a thing that you're seeing in it's everywhere because you know I see it in Nigeria as well and I'm just curious about like again no shade to influencers nothing like that but I'm just curious about what you think about that in terms of like what it means for journalism like and because I know there's always that conversation about is journalism going to be obsolete? Are we all going to like be replaced mm. by machines or replaced by whatever else? But I'm just curious about like you know whether or not you think that's a sustainable thing or whether you, whether you think that the expansion of 
our industry is, is good or yeah just curious about your thoughts sure. so that's again a great question um because i love that piece and i think it's so interesting and i think we spoke about it a little bit or like we've danced we've touched on it but we never really speak about it in detail so like yeah, I think mm. it's like, I think it's a difficult one. I personally don't believe, like, I understand why people think we'll be replaced by robots and stuff. I actually get it, but I, ju- I don't, I don't actually believe that because I honestly believe journalism, it's the first time I've actually believed it, to be honest, in a while, that like journalism is actually more important than ever, not just because of the rise of like fake news, but just also because of the democratization of information thanks to the internet, which has been so crucial. It just means that like, even outside of fake news, like, it's hard sometimes to like hear like it's it's hard to kind of like hear above the noise and above the fray and truly like understand like what's going on sometimes because there's just so many clashes of opinions and like i think like for instance with um a great example is like when black with king came out and like you know there were so many different conflicting opinions about like what it, and and what's so fascinating and i wrote a piece about this was the fact that like all these opinions were speaking from the black voice like as an overarching black idea like it was kind of like as a black person i think this and as a or as a african person i think this and often they were completely diametrically opposed and i was like this is so and and a lot of them were like tweets like there were a lot of tweets that people kind of being like well i think this and i think that and i think what where i really was able to kind of like get like i guess ideas and opinions that really resonated and I agreed with almost all of them, even the ones that were opposing, was from these longer form, in-depth articles that really kind of try to speak of the noise and really like add context and like have real conversation. Um, and I think, yeah, like with reporting and stuff, like, you know, obviously we all know about the work that you do in terms of like BBC Africa, like all, all the pieces that you've done that have just been so flipping. You do not boast near enough, but like so many pieces that have just been from the, from the fake news long read to like the thing you did, I think it was for, for Quartz about like um, Uber drivers. I can't remember the exact intricate. Oh, that's <laughs> my favorite. Yeah, and like they're, they're so just funny. all these pieces that are very like in depth. And I think if anything, what's going to happen is there's going to be a real pivot. I think um, in in depth and long form journalism and like websites like Tortoise. I don't know if you've seen it, but like I've actually written a review for them on Chewing Gum. Um, Chewing Gum came out what six years ago or something, something crazy, and like. I'm writing about it now because mm. they're not really into like they like topical news but it's not a reactionary site it's hence why it's called t- tortoise it's about slowing down and like writing things that are a bit long form and in-depth and i'm i really I'm, i feel like that that is actually the future to be honest but i think that you know the whole kind of clickbait era of like just regurgitating ideas i don't think it's very sustainable and i do think that we're gonna pivot to like things being a bit more in-depth but anyway in terms of this piece about like in- I, I mean, I hope, really boy, I hope it's the case. Otherwise, I don't know. But yeah, like, I do think that, like, you know, like, it's the same way we assumed, um, I don't know what we thought was going to kill books again, maybe Kindle, and it didn't. And I think that's how I'm seeing, like, we're all like, oh, what's going to happen with journalism? And I'm like, to be honest, I think if anything, especially in like, the, the insane times we're in, like, you know, I mean, obviously at the Guardian, I remember they've been having their best ever, like, it, so it's really, like, bittersweet because obviously they've been having a lot of financial difficulties, but that's because of ad space and, like, advertising. But in terms of how many eyes are actually on the site, it's more than ever because we're trying to understand the world, I think, more than ever. And we need more nuance and, like, nuanced perspectives than ever. But, yeah, this whole influencer thing with, like, combined with journalism, I think that, like, it's a weird one because, like, as somebody who I personally have always taken real like umbrage of when people are like, oh yeah, like you're an influencer. Because I'm always saying that like 
I have no, I, I honestly think that as a profession, it gets way too much flack. But I think for what I do as a journalist, I personally have always like been a bit like spun when people are like, oh, okay, so you're an influencer as well as a journalist. Because I know that at least in the work that I'm doing, I know that it can often present a, an actual very real tension. Like if I'm being paid to say, you know, and that of course is a big part of being an influencer. Like, you know, collaborations and like saying that, you know, you are, you're, you're basically like advertising stuff often and saying that you buy into something. And of course you can make sure that you're saying that you buy into something that you actually like are about, but often there is a compromise in terms of like having to really suggest that something is like, you know, a top notch thing when you're not a hundred percent actually invested in it. And the, and, the, and the real thing that's pushing it is money. And I'm not against that at all, but I feel like as a journalist, if I'm supposed to like, I, I write reviews, do you know what I mean? I write reviews as well. And it's like, I can't be in a position where I'm on Monday saying, yeah, I, I'm, and I'm saying this as someone who's done ads, but I'm like, can't be on Monday saying, oh, you know, I am willing to support this thing because it's, because I'm being paid to do so. And then on Tuesday, write about, be, expect my, my, the people that read my work and my audience to then believe me on Tuesday when I say, I wasn't paid to write this, but here's my opinion on this other thing. So what I try to do is like very, very specifically only work with like brands that I actually can categorically vouch for. And it's really hard because it means I have to say no to stuff sometimes that like I really don't want to say no to. But it's just that like there needs to be that integrity because kids, there's a real tension there. And it's something that I wouldn't say I have 100% worked out yet like I really haven't I would be lying if I said oh I know exactly what I'm doing but what I'm just trying to do is make sure that I'm not supporting something that I wouldn't support without a financial incentive because realistically like I'm expecting people to trust my I've been I, there's a lot of stuff I've been asked to do and I've said no because I'm just like I can't like what I will never do that's one thing it's, I, I have you know done some ads and stuff for things I'm neutral about but if that's the case, I will never, ever, ever use um, any terminology that's anything other than neutral. Like, I will always just be like, here's this thing. If you want this thing, here is this thing. I cannot sell it beyond, <laughs> I cannot claim I've used something I haven't. I cannot, like, because as I said, as a journalist, like, I just feel there's an inherent tension there. I don't know if you feel the same, but I feel like there's a real, like, to pretend that it's super, like, yeah, seamless is just fake. And I feel like, I'm I'm writing about a lot of stuff unprovoked and I feel like it's why with our newsletter you know we've been able to kind of like um with me and Elizabeth's newsletter like we do like a kind of thing of the week and we're like oh yeah here's what we're loving this week and I like that because you know we're not paid to put any of the stuff there and thankfully a lot of the brands that do send us things like I mean for a start rarely are those the things that actually go in that newsletter but a lot of the time I'm not gonna lie there things are actually pretty nice so it's not too it's not hard to put it on Instagram and be like Ooh, this is a nice thing but yeah. yeah it's a really I feel like it's a really tight rope to walk but I can put my articles on it but I can't be in a position where I feel like I have to post and I feel like if I'm not posting I'm doing something wrong because that's just not how I use social media and I think that's the difference I know there's some people who are very good at that but for me I can't be I can't I, my, I don't want relatability to be a hill I have to die on I don't want that to be why people engage with me I've always said I don't want people to think I love you on me that's why I'm reading the articles I couldn't give a shit if you think I'm and I'm unfunny and I'm annoying. I just genuinely, I need you to read my pieces because you're like, shit, the bitch can write. That's all I, it's like when dad was like, they don't have to like you, they have to respect you. I'm not an industry person. I don't have very many friends in the industry, a real handful. And I know that 
majority of opportunities I get are not because people are like, oh my god, Yomi's my girl. Like, I get on with her. It's just very much, she's professional. You know me, I come to work and I go home. I'm really not trying to make friends. Like, I've got amazing friends. Do you know what I mean? Already, you know, all my friends are majority outside of journalism because journalists are crazy. So, boy, like, I'm always just trying to, like, do my work and go. And I like the fact that my employability isn't contingent on, like, how I get on with people, mm. I, which I do. That's the thing. I work well with people, but I don't want likability to be a factor in terms of how well I'm doing in life. So, it's not for men, bro. Yeah. So I'm just trying to really do my work. People say you did well and go home, and that's I think that's all we've ever done. We've put our heads down, we've done the work, and and we get on with it. Like, do you know what I mean? What has been the proudest moment in your career so far? I am assuming it's slaying your lane, but I don't want to make that assumption. So, so the so the proudest career moment I've had like hasn't actually happened yet in terms of like it's happening coming up this week, God willing. But like I am, um, yeah, like I'm gonna be in the i'm being profiled in the september issue of um vogue i'm so gassed it just feels really crazy because it's like obviously the first time i started like writing for vogue was like i did a couple of digital bits and then i interviewed letitia wright for an issue then i did the jordan done um vogue cover which was a real flipping milestone for real like that was one of my biggest like i was so gassed i can't believe they entrusted me with a cover i was really really like proud and then Edward Enenfall sent me like this little postcard in his like little hand with his with his some little post postcard like oh like congratulations so I was like oh I was so gassed I was like I don't want to put this on Instagram because then he'll think I'm tacky and he'll never he'll never send me another one <laughs> so I didn't post it. but I was like really happy with that but then now like actually being featured like I don't know it's especially because it's not even a British Vogue which is fucking incredible in itself um but I'm just like what the hell am I doing in the, the global edition like I don't know the US one like I'm just like Anna Wintel said okay like I could scream it just feels like a real no it just feels like a real milestone so yeah like I'm really really proud of that um yeah and obviously Slayman has been fucking huge I just feel like yeah like that's that's been a fucking big one but I feel like it's led on to stuff that I'm just like gagged by it all the time and I interviewed Naomi Campbell that'll be out by the next time by the time this comes out see that comes out why do I feel like you've met Naomi Campbell like a hundred I feel like you've met her like even when when I came to interview she was doing hello you're me it's like she knows what she's doing that's what I'm saying I feel like you've met her before like this isn't the first time no it's not she invited me to fashion for relief I think I told you that now her people like you know i know i know some people from her agency who are just lovely like lovely lovely people and like they invited me to fashion for relief which was amazing and like i met her i literally was so inarticulate and incoherent i was literally practically in tears i was like i just love everything about you she's just like okay like it was really nice she was really lovely to me and just very like gracious and it's just so crazy because I'm like she's actually Naomi Campbell she could have quite literally stepped on my foot and I'd have thanked her so I was just like oh my god I can't believe you're even being nice to boot you don't have to be thanks auntie um honestly beat me up please like she um in the interview I said to her that like you know we're all calling her auntie now and like how did she feel about that and she's actually loving it like she genuinely was non-ironically loving it like, yeah, Aww. I don't find I don't feel old. She was like, I find it like cute or whatever. I find it sweet. But yeah, that those are some milestones, man. And like, hopefully, you know, more to come. I feel like I'm on that, you know, that Cardi B trajectory where you're like, okay, you think she's done, and then there's whack. Like, I want it to be like, oh, I'm just coming. Oh, more and more. <laughs> like, 
Oh, and another, and another one. one. Great. And another yeah. one. We keep Amen. praying for more wins. Well, I mean, I know that, um, you know, there's much more in store that obviously we can't go into yet. But excited to see, you know, all the amazing things that you do. Of course, you know, I'm Not very, very proud of you. Um, like, we thank God. For anybody who's watching, from yes. watching, listening, because the video oh, of this is coming out. Um, but anyone, <laughs> um, anyone who's listening and is thinking, oh my God, you're me, I think, okay. I have a picture of her oh from Vogue on my wall. Like, how do I do what she wants to do? Like, what would your advice be to like up and coming young black girls oh from Croydon, God. West Croydon? The West Croydon baby, um, my darling. You know, there are people looking to you and think like just your presence alone is like enough. Like if you can see it, you can believe it. Do you know what I mean? So what would you say to people that are seeing you and thinking, shit, I really want to do what she's doing. What would your advice oh, be? Oh gosh, so much advice. Like I'm so lucky because I always say this, like I had somebody who literally looked exactly like me, <laughs> like literally like <laughs> in my house that like whose name was like what? Three, three letters away from mine. so I was really lucky with that like I had that representation and I don't think I even realized for a long time how much that representation actually has shaped my career but I feel like even outside of the the representation like just having a really tight-knit and supported group really matters man like people that like Yem knows bruv like I'm saying it like I'm not even talking to you but you know Yem like honestly like the amount of pieces even to this day that I will last minute send you and be like yeah I'm like just just to make sure I don't get dragged or if at least if I'm getting dragged let it be on my own terms like do you does this read how it needs to read and you always give me that feedback and I feel like just having like you know somebody whether it's like you know a friend or like somebody in the industry that you trust to like actually give you that real feedback is really useful and just like I guess there are certain nuances that like unfortunately like you know certain journalists from other backgrounds just won't get in terms of your work and it's and it's really good to have I like be able to bounce off those ideas from somebody with somebody that's like you know understands and can really kind of like help you tune and fine-tune your work but also like within a particular cultural perspective that they understand because obviously like I love getting my work edited mm. I'm literally I would say I'm a sailor masochist like I'm probably like come on as you said beat me up I want to I want to be dragged I want that editing but I feel like it's even better when it comes to someone who gets it so I really appreciate you and like all the other people that allow me to kind of like you know um you know spitball with them in terms of like mate like you know shout out to Sam I'm shouting out so many people but Sam my ex-boyfriend Sam shout out to Sam King Sam this is so instrumental in terms of like um slaying your lane and like reading it and providing like you know feedback even though you know his perspective like nah man he really is like he was just he's just such a cool guy and he's just been so helpful generally in life but like yeah I think that really matters network support networks are really important but then also I always say this man like just just oh I always say authenticity over everything like I really you know this anyway because you know me better than anybody else like I I know I come across a particular way online but it is me. It's a facet of me. It is actually how I am. And I write in one of my many voices, but it is me. You, like, you know this. Like, you know that I write about things that matter to me. Um, I have often at times felt like a, like pressured almost into like, responding to certain things 
because of my background and it's like you're a black woman and this has happened to a black woman so you must comment and when I was starting out like at times I would feel like forced and like oh shit I must you know to get paid let me quickly rustle something up and it was always my worst writing and when things came from the heart and when I was really reacting to something that I really felt like I needed to speak on that was always my best writing and I feel like you know, certain pieces I've done, mate, the, the Channel U documentary when I did the Lost Stars of um, Lost Stars of Channel U documentary with V-Point and, you know, went to go and find all these, like, people from Channel U that, like, had obviously, like, not gone on to pursue music. Like, those are things that I wrote because they were authentic to me and they reflected, they reflected our reality and our lived experience. And I wanted to talk about that because I felt like it wasn't represented. And that's what I still do. I still write about things that matter to me. And I feel like, there are loads of things that matter to me and sometimes I don't want to write about them. But when I do, I'm really going to write the shit out of it. And I feel like just being authentic, like I feel like, yeah, I'm like with your beat and what you do, like that's, that's like, I feel like you're known for it. And I feel like you're respected in your field because you write and you report on what you know and what matters to you. And I feel like, you know, there are other things that people could try and sway you into writing about because it's like, oh, this is trending right now. But you've always just kind of stayed in your lane and slayed in it and just, and I feel like for me like yeah I try to do the same thing I just try to be thoroughly authentic in my work and write about what matters to me I mean I write a reality tv column with the guardian you can you can attest that I've never watched reality tv none of us have ever watched reality tv in this house ironically like we are very passionate avid reality television watchers and I feel like the fact I'm actually given a space to talk about that seriously I'm so grateful because I'm like I love reality tv and I feel like I'm glad that that's come out in other parts of my writing. So the Guardian were like, she clearly takes it very seriously. <laughs> Let's give her a call. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, just be, I sound so Disney and corny, but just write to what you what you know. It's, it's the only way that like, you know, you, you, you can guarantee you won't go wrong. It's not about you trying to stretch yourself into other areas that you're not really interested in because people feel like you should be interested in it. Do you know what I mean? That was Yomi Adegake. You can follow her on Twitter or Instagram on at Yomi Adegoke. Be sure to check out her columns in British Vogue and The Guardian newspaper. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Behind All The Stories, a podcast hosted and produced by me, Yemi Adegoke. Sound editing and mixing by Kalechi Anosia. Artwork by Manuela Bonomi. And music by New Age Music with a Z. See you next time.